This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our Town Hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we speak with four candidates running for state representative in very competitive races. Join us for a conversation with Joy Stanford, Angie Hamola, Representative Dave Paul, and David Hackney. This was recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, October 6th. We are enormously fortunate tonight to have an extraordinary lineup of great candidates who are running for the state legislature, all of them in very close races. We will be hearing from a candidate for representative in the 26th, uh, LD Joyce Stanford. She is with us. Representative Dave Paul and candidate for representative Angie Hamola in the 10th LD. And David Hackney, he is candidate for representative in the 11th LD. And so let us meet our first guest. Joy Stanford is a former community outreach specialist with Shared Housing Services, and she's a substitute teacher in the Peninsula School District. She is running for state representative in position two in in, uh, the 26th LD, and this is a district that includes southeastern Kitsap Peninsula from Bremerton and Port Orchard in the north to Gig Harbor in the south. And Joy is a little short on voice tonight, so uh, I'm just going to say hello, Joy, and we're going to try and conserve your voice as much as possible. But hello to you. How are you doing? Good today. Thank you so much. Sorry about my voice, but I've just been talking to hundreds of voters. So it's good. It's good stuff. But I have strained my voice a little bit. (laughs) We're going to get into how much you have been working. Um, I I want to start, though, with COVID, because, of course, for so many reasons right now in the news, this is very top of mind. When you and I both first spoke back in April, we talked about how the situation was impacting the 26th. What is the situation like there now? You know, like anywhere else, we've still got, you know, issues happening. Um, Small businesses are closing. They're struggling with their own paperwork on how to get help. Um, Students are online doing school and teachers and districts are working really hard in my district to make sure that um, that is like valuable and and great for our kids, for our parents. Um, We've got many folks that are stretched to the limit on their budgets. Um, No work. businesses closing, small businesses closing. So we're in the situation that like any other district. However, I have said this since April, COVID, the silver lining of COVID-19 was that many providers and resources came together to work together cohesively and collaboratively so that they can help as many families as possible. And I saw that happening right here in my own district. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I'm pretty proud to be a part of that. Well, you're a part of it in a, in a different way as well that I want to point out to people. You were laid off from your position at Shared Housing Services, but you are still out there serving your community. Uh, talk about some of the things that you've been doing personally to address the fallout from the pandemic. You know, um, it just never leaves you. You know, I'm a product of um, a shared housing situation, so it's it's near and dear to me. And so people know they can call me. And I've had several calls over the last several months of people saying, who do we call for this, Joy? Who do we call for this? I've got a family that's living in their car. I got a lady that's living in her car, or, you know? And so um, I'm just glad that I can be part of that solution that they feel like I'm a safe person that they can call. Um, and I'm still doing grassroots work, even though I'm not working per se for shared housing services, but I'm still, you know, telling people that's your go-to. If that, you know, that's just one option. Make sure, are you in a shelter? Make sure you've got rental assistance. There's a lot of programs out there and some people just don't know about them. So I feel great that I'm somebody that they can come to to understand how to get in touch with those resources. And well, since you're on the ground in such a meaningful way, we may be heading, experts say we may be heading into another wave of the pandemic as we get into fall and winter. You're very much, of course, tracking this situation. I will ask your assessment. What, in your view, are we doing right and what still needs to be worked on and addressed? Um, I think many people are following the guidelines. We're in phase two. You know, my district straddles two counties, Kitsap and Pierce. We're in phase two. Most folks are following the rules, masks washing hands six feet apart, no gatherings over five to 10. I know people are stretching that a little bit, but, um, you know, people are making sure they're following the rules, but, um, and we're also trying to improve the, 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 the way we have to do things now, such as the platform, the online platform for kids at school. I, I know our teachers and our districts are working hard and I'm super excited about that. 
I had a community conversation with some parents. They seem very positive about that. Um, I have another one coming up around healthcare, but I've been on calls with um, Dr. Chen from Pierce County, um, our health director, public health director. And so I think we are doing all we can do. We just have to take that whole wearing a mask is stepping on my civil liberties. Get rid of that. This is science. This is health. This is making sure we're, we're helping each other. It's about love. It's about compassion. It's about empathy and getting us all healthy so we can get back to opening back up our state and letting our kids go back to school and run free without a mask instead of them having to eat lunch by themselves with a mask on. So um, I, I think we're doing all we can do to make sure we're doing the right thing. And Senate passed the HEROES Act. We need the money. We need the money. Show me the money. <laughs> I see the, everything that you've just said. I see so many heads nodding uh, in agreement right now. And, you know, uh, in, related to that, of course, is the discussion on health care uh, that you and I have had for a while. And I know that you've been talking to people in your district about the challenges uh, that they are facing with uh, with health care. Uh, this all, of course, has been extraordinarily exacerbated by the pandemic. What specifically are you hearing from people right now? Even today, I talked to a mom, special needs son. Um, she wants to make sure that she's going to have her insurance and that it's going to be affordable and that she could keep it. And I said to her, what you don't know is people like me, a candidate, I'm rationing my health care because my co-pays and co-insurances are so expensive. That means I don't go to the chiropractor more than two times a week and I don't go to any other thing that I have to pay $40 a copay more than two times a week because that's out of my budget. So I'm trying to relate to voters so they know I'm right there with you. A lot of people have lost their employer-sponsored insurance. That's hard when you've had this great insurance plan. Then you're like, now what do I do? The great thing is I used to be a licensed broker. People are calling me or I'm on the phone with them. I'm like, you know what? I got somebody for you to call. I know a couple of licensed brokers. Where are you? Do you mind if I give them your number? They'll call you with the options that are available. They'll help you get through the online with the ACA, you know? And so that's the great thing about what I do. I'm always gonna stop and go, let me see if I can help you outside of it. And a lot of people are really surprised that I would do that too, but it's just who I am, it's what I do. Everybody needs somebody like you, Joy, and your community is very lucky to have you. I'm serious. Um, I will ask you this because we know that there is a, there's, you know, there's, you're, you're alluding to this right now, the, the crisis around health care, the crisis of access to health care. The ideal, of course, is to get give access to all Washingtonians in that regard. How does your vision differ from that of your opponent? Um, I think, you know, I don't have special interests that I'm beholden to. So I don't have any, you know, other than, you know, my families, voters here, seniors, kids, people in my district, the people. So I don't have any special interest packs that I'm beholden to. Um, I like to think that we here in the 26th have what we need, but it was evident on a phone call that I was on that healthcare workers weren't, ha didn't have access to the resources they needed as far as PPEs. So that's important as an elected official. I wanna make sure in my district, we have the PPEs, the masks, the gloves, the ventilators. We've got, we know the process on which to how to handle a pandemic of this size. We learned very quickly once this pandemic hit, our public health system, oh my gosh, we did, did we practice enough? Did we think about this? So moving forward, let's do some forward thinking about making sure our processes are in place, making sure we've got PPEs right here in our own state. We could create jobs by manufacturing those PPEs and then give a job and then give the PPE to who needs it our first responders, our healthcare workers, our essential workers, grocery store clerks, all the folks that you see every day that you can go and 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 converse with on a very small scale in little time, but we'll be able to get out and do that. So I wanna make sure we have that here, particularly in my district. I Before I ask the next question, I want to acknowledge that Lori Fegan is on the call with us tonight. She's running uh, out in East Spokane. You're very popular, uh, Lori, so we're very happy to have you with us. So, um, Joy, I want to talk next about uh, an area, of course, that is right in your wheelhouse, which is housing and homelessness. Um, as former community outreach specialist for shared housing services, 
you bring a unique approach to the housing crisis. Can you just expand on that a little bit for us? I do. Like I said earlier, I benefited from a shared housing um, program when I was a single mom. And so I always see a shared housing situation as a win-win situation for families. You bring two families together, whether it's two seniors, whether it's three veterans, and I'm thinking about all the matches that my coworker and I put together, whether it's a single mom and an older female, um, generational, you know, um, um, gatherings. It's so cool to watch this win-win situation where the family might be helping the homeowner who might be a senior um, on a fixed income and the senior home provider is helping the single mom or single dad. And so it's a win-win situation. I believe there's power in numbers. And when you bring families together and you bring people together like this, it can just only help. I also feel, um, believe that we need to really look into these abandoned buildings, churches, schools, houses. We've got great, great um, nonprofits that are rehabbing houses and renting out rooms. So it might not have a communal common place other than the kitchen and uh, several bathrooms, but it is just another way to expand the options of affordable housing in a time of crisis. So I'm going to give a shout out to Dome Attack. I'm going to give a shout out to Progress House. Um, those are just a couple that I can think of. There, we have several home providers. I still say we, like I still work there, that are have a home, but they've you know divided it into different rooms and they're renting rooms, several rooms um, to students because they know students need housing and sometimes housing isn't available or it's out of their you know um, budget. So that's the kind of win-win situation that we need to expand on and we need to get with the counties and the cities and be able to let those folks at the local level be able to say, we can change maybe our codes if we need to, to make this happen and we can curb that crisis of homelessness. Cause it's coming, the wave is coming post pandemic. We all know this. So I wanna make sure we're talking about it now. So it's not a shock when we start passing good policy around expanding affordable housing um, to, to help homelessness. You know, I'm so glad that you were able to expand on that in such a meaningful way because I caught a town hall that you did with Congressman Derek Kilmer and he had you touch on it, but you, you really only kind of scratched the surface of what it means to, to implement shared housing and, and, and repurposing. And, and I think it's such a, an out of the box way of looking at it and I just love it. We only have just a couple of minutes left and there are so many questions that I would like to get to I will ask you briefly if you would touch uh, a little bit on addiction and mental health services in the 26. Talk about the need here and specifically how the need has been greater during the pandemic. Well, we know we have many folks that are having a hard time right now. The whole thing with the pandemic is what isolation, depression, the list is endless. Um, I really want to make sure that I'm part of the discussion and continue to be part of the discussion to pass the one-tenth a 1% tax here in Pierce County. They've done it in Kitsap County. They broke ground on a permanent supportive housing um, project in Kitsap County. We need to do that here in Pierce County. We need that money. Um, again, wanna give a shout out to Progress House who just um, opened up their first clubhouse, which is a model around helping people in town, in a neighborhood, have access to addiction specialists, to um, getting job training to um, help just being able to get out of the house and and just live normally and not have that stigmatization of, you know, mental health. And so I want to give a shout out to Progress House for that. I went to their grand opening, um, but we need to start building that. We are so behind. We don't have time to build all the housing we need and, and, and we need to get on it now. We need to stop talking about it and move to do it and create it. Two last questions for you. I will ask you because I really want you to to kind of toot your own horn here. You've gotten some really high profile endorsements. Are there one or two that oh. are particularly <laughs> meaningful for you? Um, there's lots that are meaningful to me. Um, you know, most importantly, the unions and the union families who stepped up, the individuals. If you go on my website, you'll see the individuals who stepped up. You know, Congressman Kilmer, um, Larry Sequest, uh, County Councilman Deere. Um, young. I mean, there's so many, but you know, the one I wanted and I, I was like, was that Tacoma News Tribune? Um, I didn't get it in 2018, 
Um, cause I, and I knew I didn't, it's so interesting. I knew I didn't, I didn't talk enough. And I was kind of like, Oh, am I supposed to talk? Am I, what should I say? And, and th- this time I was like, Oh, I, I know what I need to say. And I, I was right there. So, um, I'm super excited to receive that. I'm super proud and humbled. Um, and I, and I just want to do right, um, by the people in my district. There's several that are on right now. And I would not be here today without them. Um, everyone in my district in the 26, because there's lots of individuals who are endorsing me. And I just want to say thank you. Well, as I said earlier, they're very, very fortunate to have you. And in addition to an extraordinary breadth of experience and expertise that you would bring to Olympia, you would also bring such an infectious sense of enthusiasm. Uh, you, you you make me smile every time we talk. And take care of that <laughs> voice. As I mentioned, uh, be propolis spray. I sent you the... Yeah. I sent you My that. That'll, that'll order. get you through. Yeah. All right. And your website is joyforwashington.com. Joyforwashington.com. I think my, oh, there's Fiona. That's my campaign manager. Thank you, Fiona. Um, yes. And, you know, we need people to get on the phone banks. Um, donate, donate, donate. The, the campaign's not over, people. We are trying to get that commercial in every spot I can get it in. That costs money. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I truly appreciate all of you who are working so hard to get all of us elected, your tireless hours. There's not enough thank yous in the world that we can say, but I want you to know from my heart that I truly, truly appreciate each and every one of you. Well, thank you for that, Joy, and I will accept that on I'll behalf stay of you. i on, the, but I'll just go on mute. <laughs> okay. Joy Stanford, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We will talk next with Angie Hamala and Representative Dave Paul. Angie Hamala has lived, worked, and volunteered on Whidbey Island for 23 years. She is an architect and former carpenter, laborer, and machinist. She has a master's in environmental law and policy and has served as Island County Commissioner from 2009 to 2013 during the Great Recession. Representative Dave Paul was elected to the State House in 2018 and is running for re-election this year. He is the vice chair of the Education Committee, and he also sits on the committees for college and Workforce Development and Transportation. He is currently Vice President of the Skagit Valley College and also serves on the Island County Economic Development Council. Uh, Angie Hamala, welcome to you. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, Representative Paul, welcome to you, sir. Thank you so much for having us. So I, I have to tell you, I enjoyed speaking with both of you in advance of this so much. And I just I, I want to jump in on a couple of points that, that we talked about early on. I'll, Angie, I'll start with you on this. So you talk on your website about how witnessing an abuse of power in government started you on the road to public service. And I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about the importance of transparency and accountability in our government? Indeed, I can. I guess I wanted to start with I feel like we've just had this decades long drive to brainwash people into not talking about politics or religion. And that has resulted really in a divide in our country. And it has prioritized corporate government and the lack of civics in our schools has left people really not knowing about government, not knowing how important their voice is. And I honestly really didn't have a big connection to government until in my workplace some 17 years ago, I was working in the planning department at Island County and I was at, I was a plans examiner and I was asked to create design guidelines for Evie's Landing National Historical Reserve, a very special place. And I set out to do that and not too long after I embarked on that, I was delivered a letter of uh, uh that I wasn't doing a good job, a letter of warning, a a reprimand letter in a red sleeve. And it was just a big shock. And I thought, what's going on? And after many, many months of harassment and the sabotage of my file, I actually finally asked the boss, you know, what is it that caused this consternation? And I was told that it was the work on that, those guidelines. And then he turned to his secretary and said, I want the lid kept closed on that box. I want that stricken from the record. And come to find out that the county, the sitting county commissioner who had really strong ties to development had thwarted those guidelines for a long time, standards by which people would build in the reserve because he saw them as a hindrance to development. So I negotiated a layoff with my union and some five years later, I was working on a grant application and discovered a misuse of a half a million public tax dollars by the same official. And that got me going to city and county meetings where the citizens had two minutes to speak their their thoughts. Then they sat down and the policy setters set policy usually against what the public wanted. 
So I realized I knew people's voices were very important, but I realized policy setting was crucial. So I ran for county commissioner and I beat the incumbent uh, who had been in for 16 years by just 62 votes in a hand recount. I took office and really started a whole new era of respectful, equal representation for the public. And I went from whistleblower to problem solver to policy setter. And those are things I'd like to take to the state level. And some of those included really took a long time, but I finally got cameras in our hearing room so that the public could actually participate in our meetings, much like watching TBW for, at the state level. And I'd love to make that even easier for people. Changed all of our committee assignments so that they were actually advertised in the paper and vetted publicly. Changed it such that all new employees that came in actually were given an indoctrination about what unions were about and that they had the opportunity to be represented and how the, the, the review process works so that they weren't just up against their boss, that they could have a third party, the HR director in the room at the time. And um, I really feel strongly about protecting public records. And I know that it can cripple local governments with these um, massive records requests and I've experienced that, but I'm reluctant to take that privilege away and that very important piece away from citizens' ability to actually see what their governments are doing, which is why I feel strongly about government services over private services. So hopefully um, we can get to that later. Absolutely. And we will. Yeah. And Representative Paul, I want to turn to you because you have a formidable education background. I mean, you've worked in it for years. This is your academic background for sure. Uh, why did you decide to run for elected office? Well, thank you, Stefan. So first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who's here. I, I see so many folks from the 10th district, uh, so many folks who have been in our home or I've been in their home, and it's just wonderful to see this community uh, especially this year when I haven't been able to see folks face, face to face. So, you know, two years ago when I looked at our state delegation, it was just very conservative. And the district, it has a reputation for being very conservative, but the district is really moderate. And it, it voted for Hillary Clinton by a point. It votes for Maria Cantwell. It votes for Hattie Murray. We at one point had three women county commissioners. And then I realized I made a terrible mistake because I'm not a woman. And, uh, but, but it, it really is a moderate district. And when you looked at voices from the LGBT community, when you look at dreamers, when you look at progressives, they just weren't represented well in Olympia. And so I, I ran uh, on those issues and it was very fortunate to be able to meet a lot of voters um, at their doorstep. And we, we won a narrow race, um, but it's been a true joy uh, to represent the 10th district in the state legislature. Um, I would like to, as I did with Joy, shift over next and talk about COVID and how it is impacting our state uh, and our district. Um, Angie, we may be looking, experts say we may be looking at another potential wave of the pandemic in fall and winter. And I wonder, just generally speaking, how would you assess what we have learned thus far and, and what actions would you like to see us take going forward? Well, I think what we've learned so far in this rude awakening with this pandemic is that we, this is not the only crisis that's impacting us. We have climate change coming forward, loss of housing. We have challenges with in, uh, living wage jobs. And one positive that might've come out of this is as, as mentioned earlier by Joy is that people have shown an ability to really make change rapidly and to come together and that we can use that to our advantage. And I think we're not through the whole pandemic crisis. And what we need to do is make sure we're following science, that we're listening to professionals, that we're taking good care of each other, and that it's our responsibility to do that. And that bad information just creates emergencies and spreads the virus. So going forward, I would hope, unfortunately, our president has decided to delay negotiations that would enable us to continue um, helping out our local governments. And I'm hoping that we get through that right away because I'd like to see us continue the CARES Act. It helped provide K through 12 education and it helps us with our hospital services and Medicaid and disaster relief. And we also really need further um, help with unemployment. I'd like to see that unemployment really extend to some of our guest workers and our independent contractors who sometimes slip through the cracks here, even though we absolutely rely on their services. And we really need to try to get people back to work. We need to do that carefully. And I think that our governor's done a great job of being, taking careful steps. We're all learning this together. There's been some discussion that we didn't, that it wasn't really precise enough. Well, how can we be precise about a disease that's affecting us? And we're doing, I think we've made some really good strides forward. 
Um, I would like to see us work a little harder on a special emergency preparedness task force and in so doing put together some standardized pandemic and food and housing natural disaster plan so that we're actually making our own PPE in our state and how we're housing it here with a plan to roll that out should this continue to affect us or we have another pandemic coming forward. And we could use that same model for dealing with climate change prevention. Yeah, and all of these things are sort of in the orbit of science. And, and Representative Paul, uh, I will just let uh, viewers and listeners know that your opponent recently held a 400-person fundraiser at the Skagit Regional Airport with, I think, maybe 5% of attendees wearing masks. I, I tried to formulate a question around this, and I, I really can't. I, I will just ask, what was your response when you, when you heard about that? Um, well, it was shock and frustration and anger. Um, so going back to something Angie said, you, you want to, you know, our, our healthcare professionals, we, I started working with them in March to find out what their advice was. And we now know their advice was very sound. Uh, social distancing matters, washing hands matter, wearing masks matters. And, you know, so in August and September, when the data is really clear that those things work to have my opponent do that is really frustrating. It, it, it really angers me because there are folks on this phone call or on this Zoom call who have lost family members to COVID. We had one of the early outbreaks in our state in Skagit County uh, with a community group. And, and you know, I'm friends with members of that choir. They have talked about the effects of COVID and how they still have not fully recovered from the disease. It is a terrible disease. And I just fundamentally think we need community leaders that are gonna work to keep our community safe. Uh, and my opponents work to spread really horrible rumors, false claims about COVID is just terrible and not the sort of leadership we need at the state level. On a related topic, of course, is healthcare, uh, and I know that you've done a ton on on healthcare in the last session, including uh, supporting a measure to approve two hundred and twenty five million dollars for funding for our state's COVID nineteen response. Uh, I would love it if you could just talk about a few of your other achievements in the session. So thank you. Uh, so I think the my most I'm most proud of the achievement of you. you I really work hard to listen to folks before figuring out what I'm going to do or what I'm going to propose. So I listened to healthcare providers, I listened, listened to nursing home operators and learned so much more about our Medicaid uh, reimbursement rates and how they're so low uh, for rural healthcare providers. And this is not just something that affects Island County and Skagit County and in the Northern part of Snohomish County, it affects you know, all rural districts, Kitsap County where Joy's from. You know, it's just something we have to address. So we worked really hard in the budget to increase those rates and it, it helps our, you know, here on in Woodby Island where Angie and I live, we have pediatric practices that are trying to bring in mental health providers and they weren't able to do so with those, those current, th those previous rates. Um, then we also work to help lower the costs of insulin, uh, to help lower the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, and I'm proud that we've worked hard to also help better fund uh, mental health and behavioral health and um, addiction recovery. Angie, I want to bring you into the discussion here because y your approach is is quite frankly it's it, it, it's it's very impressive on an intellectual level. You lay out a holistic vision of how healthcare fits together with public health and safety. I wonder if you can just kind of briefly talk about that. Well, first, I really want to thank um, Representative Paul. I know it was really hard work in the in the challenging environment in the legislature and getting these important steps forward to for healthcare is, is a huge lift. So um, just to kind of add on to that, having worked at the county level where we have just a very broad spectrum of services we need to try to provide. And I was a county commissioner during the great recession and discovered we had to cut 20% of our budget and managed to do that while still taking care of people. It was, it, it was another reminder of why we really need to have government that's helping us and not just private practice, because when we needed to get it, re revise our um, mental health care facility, nobody would bid on it. We went out to five bidders and nobody wanted to do it because it doesn't make money. So if you're a for-profit company, you're not gonna bid on something like that. And our um, human services director rallied up, met with the commissioners and said, why don't we just do this ourselves? It was 
unusual, but we found a way to do that and opened our doors so we could help people. And it was uh, a necessary step. And we continue to see this growing problem with our aging community. We have a very high percentage of aging uh, folks that actually die from opioid addiction. Our veterans are impacted by this. We, every county in the state has available to them the use of a, a tax or a levy that helps veterans. And it's not really being used properly. I discovered pretty quickly that they just kept this fund full so that the money could actually be shifted to other departments and we weren't serving our indigent veterans. So I revamped that whole program with the help of my fellow commissioners. And we went from serving five to 100 indigent veterans in that first year. And that had me visiting various uh, veteran service centers only to find out so many veterans, especially these veterans that were in the Vietnam War and the veterans now that are coming uh, they're aging such that they're not busy all the time or, or they're impacted now because they may not be working because of COVID. And then they start remembering those things that cause PTSD that really made them struggle. So our psychiatric ward is falling apart in Washington state. So we have a really big picture of public safety. We shouldn't be picking people up off the road with our um, police officers trying to cope with how to address these. We don't have enough hospital beds, which is an issue coming way back from the federal government. People go to the hospital just long enough to be released and put back out on the street or they're incarcerated. So that's perhaps the holistic piece that we need to look at. And there's a lot of programs I would support, but first of all, we need, not, we need to get away from for-profit insurance and get towards preferably single payer, but if nothing else, something similar to what maybe Germany's doing that is not for profit. It gets people health care and not health insurance. Well, you, you know, uh, Representative Paul, uh, uh, Angie here is talking at the county level, uh, the need for funding for uh, substance abuse and, and mental health services. And you touched on this just a little bit in your previous answer. But I wonder if you can talk about the need for this in the 10th and specifically from your experience in the legislature, how you get those dollars. Well, yeah. So thank you for that question. So one of the things that, that can be frustrating is you can have bipartisan support for the capital budget. You can have bipartisan support for the transportation budget. And with mental health, um, so folks are all, of they, they support across party lines building the facilities, but then they don't support the funding on the operation budget. So you have to do both. It's, it's, you can't just build the facility. You actually have to staff it. And that means also encouraging folks to go into those professions. Those, those chemical dependency professionals, oftentimes those jobs don't pay well. Um, folks get mountains of student debt and that's just, that's just a crime. So we either need to lower the cost of tuition on those programs or we need to look at things where we are reimbursing uh, um, loan forgiveness programs for public service like with chemical dependency. Well, you know, that segues perfectly into my next question, was, which was about uh, economic opportunity and the economic recovery. And you, Representative, have uh, prioritized a living wage for people who live in the 10th. You're talking about that with mental health jobs. You also say you would like to, and this really stuck with me, you'd like to develop jobs that can't be outsourced. Can you talk about that? What sorts of jobs? Yeah. So I think we should always be thinking about can the job is the we don't want to train people for a job that, that then can be easily outsourced out of the country. So I think a lot about jobs that are really critically important, like healthcare or auto repair. Um, and if you don't do those right, somebody could die. You know, you, you, we've, those are important um, skilled professions uh, that require two, three years worth of training. And then we, they are paid accordingly. And we can't, we're not going to ship your Honda overseas to get it fixed. So focusing on the jobs that, that will stay here. And then I think also thinking about, as Angie talked about, uh, the enjoy the need to have personal protective equipment built in our state. We have great light manufacturing across our state. We could require that, that we're actually manufacturing it for our facilities in our state. That has the double impact not only of the family wage jobs, but helps with regional resiliency if we have a major earthquake. So I think that there is a lot of thought about that now. Um, I also will say in terms of green energy, when we look at repairing solar panels and we think about wind turbines, we need to make sure that we're paying people well um, and we need to be getting 
as we talk about trying to get away from fossil fuels, we want to get those people into those industries as well, and they need to pay well. Absolutely agreed. And, you know, the, Angie, I will just shift the conversation over to you in maybe more of a philosophical uh, way and just ask you, what mechanisms do you see that we can avail our, ourselves of that will encourage this, you know, this high quality of life and these sustainable jobs in the tent that Representative Paul is talking about? Well, this is a very um, geologically uh, challenged demographic here in the tent because we have islands, we have the mainland, then we have a transition, we have three tribal nations residing within the boundaries of the tent. So we need to be thinking about all of these things together. And we need to be mindful that a lot of people, we, we live here because we love it here. And that it goes back again to the Growth Management Act and protecting that and following those 13 to 14 goals we have that help us protect the very things that matter to us. And one of our, our main industries here is the military. And we also have a lot of people who have living wage jobs that work in the fossil fuel industry. So I would encourage us to adopt the clean fuel standards and also advance our um, electric vehicle program so that we can actually have that just transition that we need that will avail people of living wage jobs. And Representative Paul is exactly right. We need to find the kinds of niche jobs that will help people be able to stay here and not have to be forced to commute long distances. We, are, we, have, we do have a strong tourism piece here, which means we have to protect that quality of life. And I'm really thankful for the work that our Representative Paul has done and others in bringing us dollars here to this district that'll help advance our bicycle routes. We have certainly great campgrounds, we have hiking, we, and we have a strong um, farm community. I helped move forward the resolution to our state legislators that ended up getting the sustainable farms uh, bill passed that encourages local farming, which is a big uh, step here. And I would like us to try to work a little bit harder on the um, challenges between our clearing and grading permits and our forest practice permits such that you can still get the public benefit rating to protect your forests while not necessarily having to cut them all down because there's still a benefit and there's an ecosystem service that's involved in that. So I think we have the potential here and um, making sure that we have vocational schooling. I tried to get a program for summer school that would allow students and maybe adults to use the shop classes that sit empty all summer that would give us the opportunity to have that vocational schooling. And I know uh, Mr. Paul is also very uh, interested in that. We tried to work together, but it just really couldn't get off the ground. But maybe we can help inspire that with state grants. And you're referring to Representative Paul's uh, Summer Running Start program. Um, and I will mention, Representative Paul, that you serve as the vice chair of the Education Committee. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about your deep uh, background in, in education. You managed to introduce a lot of legislation on the education front this year. And I would love to just kind of give you the floor for just a couple of minutes to talk about some of your successes. Sure. So thank you so much. So first of all, folks, I've got to stop calling me Representative Paul. So I, everybody calls me Dave. Okay. Um, so Fair it's enough. weird. Okay. <laughs> Andrew and I have known each other for 12 years. Uh, you got to start calling me Dave. Uh, Can do. So, uh, so I'm really proud of, of a couple of measures out of the education committee. So dual credit programs help students get high school credit, I'm sorry, college credit while they're still in high school. So CTE dual credit and Angie, uh, touched on that just a minute ago. You have folks that are actually learning a trade in high school. We should articulate as many of those as possible so that students can earn, go on to an apprenticeship program or go on to a trade school or community college and get credit. College in the high school allows students to actually earn the credit while still at their physical high school campus. Um, that's a great program and we should be encouraging more high schools and colleges to articulate those. And then running start, students go to the college. Um, and right now they're doing online classes, uh, distance ed classes. But so two things that, that I'm really proud of. One is that we helped lower the cost for needy students, students on free and reduced uh, lunch, so that they can help pay for their um, textbooks. And that program um, now Skagit Valley College and Everett Community College and there's other colleges um, have that those dollars and students can start getting those dollars in the winter quarter. Um, and then the other program is running, um, running Start is uh, associated with the traditional academic year, but students couldn't take summer classes or if they did, they had to pay for that out of pocket. Um, so we created a summer Running Start program and we, for years, years at the community college, thank you, Stephanie, um, years, 
folks have said, you just can't be done. The funding models doesn't work. There are too many problems and we worked together and got it completed. And I believe Skagit will be one of those uh, pilot programs. We'll have three pilot programs in the state. And I'm so excited that students can start their first class in the summer when they don't have the pressure of the academic year. Um, and it's perfect for the colleges because the colleges have emptier classrooms in the summer. Angie, I will just ask you, uh, with the unfortunately short time that we have remaining, where on the education you uh, front that you feel that we are doing well here in Washington? And this is uh, K through 12 as well as post-secondary. And where are we coming up short? Well, I think we're, our mandate to meet the K through 12 piece, we're, we're trying to do a good job there, but we still fall short because I think pre-K is important and childcare is important for the pre-K piece. And I think we could really need to ramp up a little bit more with the vocational schooling. So I'm excited about these programs. I still think we aren't using the full potential of our structures and we're not using all the shops we could be using to get people the opportunity to work with their hands. Students seem to be pushed now in 11th grade to choose either a trade track or a vocational track. And I did both. And I think that if you're going to be a white collar worker, if you learn to use your hands, it's gonna do better for that job. And if you don't wanna be going down an academic track, you need to be able to use your hands for your skill. So I would love to see us do that. I'd really like to see our state have something like the CCC did many years back during the Great Depression that would let people have an opportunity out of high school where they put in some service in our state in a different discipline, maybe um, construction, engineering, healthcare, so that we are actually helping people transition, providing a stipend for housing and giving them a skill to hit the ground running with, with, in our workforce. And all of this is related to taxation. And I have this question just for you, because this is something that we discussed in our preparation. Uh, you, w listeners and viewers know we have the most upside down tax structure in the nation. And it is, as you say, largely based on the demand for growth and growth uh, for its own sake is a very poor metric for quality of life. Uh, I'm wondering how, how you would like to balance our taxation in a way that is fairer. Well, we do know we have the worst, the, the most regressive tax structure in the nation, and it is really built on a spend or tax model that is reliant on property taxes and sales taxes. So it means you need to go spend money to stimulate the economy, and you need to be building constantly to stimulate the economy, which is a model based on the growth of population and buildings and not so much on the growth of quality of life. But in order to make a change in that, we, we have to bear in mind that that does require two thirds vote of our people. So what I would love to see us do is not just the good work that we're doing at the legislative level between a bipartisan committee that's looking at our, our, our tax structure, but I would really like to see economists employed to do this with a third party that really looks hard at our existing tax structure. It looks at a couple of alternatives, it engages the public and then let them actually see what those alternatives might be so that they can make a choice and informed decision on work, what works best for them. And in the meantime, we have to come up with a more fair tax structure. We have some huge multi-million dollar companies in our state that in order to have some control over regulation have offered to pitch in to help offset the homelessness and the crises that they have helped create with the gentrification and pushing people out of homes. My opponent is, objects to that which I don't understand. I would be in support of it, but I wanna make sure it's not just in the Seattle area that will also expand regionally and help us all out. Um, those are some steps I think we could take to make more fair taxation that's um, more immediate. I think that's extraordinary, and, and I love the public involvement aspect of that. Uh, Dave, in the time that we have remaining, what are your legislative goals for the next session? Well, thank you so much. So continue to work on dual credit. I think that's critically important. I also think it's critically important that we continue the work on protecting public health. Uh, so we will continue to be, be working on that. I'm really excited that we have opportunities to improve our transportation infrastructure. So uh, when we talk about the biggest emitter of fossil or greenhouse gases, uh, you know, the clean fuel standards would be a great step. Uh, and, and, you know, that is not bad for our district, it's good for our district. It helps, it will help make the, the uh, petroleum products coming out of our uh, refineries in our district cleaner. Uh, we should be looking, I'm really excited about hybrid ferries and we need to rebuild our ferry fleet. Very excited that 
the initial ferry run, uh, the Clinton Mukilteo run will get a hybrid ferry in the, from the last transportation buck, uh, from last transportation budget. Uh, and last thing is I'm excited that we're doing work on culverts, which are the salmon fish blockage, uh, which detrimental to our fish runs, so good for our quality of life that we, uh, for our native populations that we get those fixed. It has been posted in the show notes, but could you uh, give us your website, please, your campaign website? It's um, votedavepaul.com. All right, Dave Paul. Well, thank you. I will, I will stop calling you representative and I will say thank you. Uh, Angie, uh, I will just allow you the last word here. Uh, what does your campaign need briefly? And then just give us your, your website. Okay. Well, I think the, what we need is help because we can't knock on doors, but we are doing lit drop with masks and gloves. So we could use help with that, making phone calls to outreach to voters, which we're actually doing together to help each other's campaigns out here in the tent. We have, as uh, Dave mentioned earlier, this is a really purple district. You get across the finish line here if you're lucky with just tiny little margins. So that's really helpful. And we are also, um, we are doing postcards. We've sent out, I think over 3000 postcards. We placed 15,000 calls in the primary and we're hard at it now and we could use help with that. My website is angieforall.com. We just were fortunate enough to be elevated with the House Democratic Campaign Committee that brought us um, some support, enabled us to get a TV commercial, which will go out, actually two of them will go out here in the near future. So um, hit the, uh, and just help disseminate bad information. Our opposition seems to have no qualms about wallowing in the gutter I mean, to the extreme, I just got another hit piece in the mail today against one of the opponents or one of my colleagues here in the tent. And it's just crazy. People need to do a little bit of research. Look at your facts, share that information on your Facebook and let's stay uh, above the fray and do what's right and, and, and use truth and fact to guide us in our decisions. Perfect place to leave it. Dave Paul, thank you. And Angie Hamola, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for your generous time. We will speak finally tonight with David Hackney. Uh, David is an attorney who formerly worked at the Department of Justice, the United Nations, and the Nature Conservancy. He practiced both criminal and labor law. David is also a graduate of Harvard Law School. And while he was there, he also earned a master's in public administration from the JFK School of Government. Hang on. I'm not done, everybody. (laughs) In 2019, Governor Inslee appointed him as a commissioner on the Washington Human Rights Commission, and he also serves on the boards of of Table 100, the Alliance for Gun Responsibility, and the Tukwila Children's Foundation, and he is running for state representative in position one in the 11th Legislative District. And this is a district that includes South Seattle, uh, Renton, Tukwila, and a portion of Kent. David Hackney, what a pleasure. How are you, sir? Thank you very much. How are you? Thanks for having me. You know, in addition to the CV that I just read, I will mention that you have an incredibly compelling personal story that I would encourage people to check out on your website. And I would just say, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you've decided to run. But I'm honestly curious why you haven't chosen to run up until this point. Well, I'll tell you, I was, uh, uh, like a lot of people, motivated by our president to get more involved in the community and um, identified that I thought there was a real need for someone fighting for critical issues in the 11th district. You know, so like I said, I've been an attorney for 25 years, but I think my lived experience tells you more about how I will perform as a legislator. You know, I come from a proud union family. Uh, Both my grandfathers were union men. Um, One grandfather uh, survived the Great Depression and the other escaped the Jim Crow South because the United Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and the United Auto Workers were fighting for their economic and civil rights. I'm gonna to fight to strengthen collective bargaining and to address income inequality in Olympia. When I started high school, uh, guidance counselors told my parents that I was not college material. And with the love and support of my family and investments from my community, I was able to obtain degrees from Cornell University and Harvard Law School. I'm gonna to fight to meet the educational needs of every student in the 11th district to make sure they meet their, reach their full potential. While in high school, my best friend uh, was shot to death by another teenager who should have never had access to a firearm. I believe gun violence is preventable and I'm gonna fight for responsible gun laws in Olympia. And while uh, my senior year in college, my mother uh, uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer at a time my family did not have health insurance. The subsequent medical bills crippled my family financially. 
I am going to fight for health care for all. Um, and so these are the uh, critical issues that, uh, that sort of inform me. They're not issues that I'm just talking about during campaign times. These are things that are, are very important to me because of my lived experience. I can tell they're personal to you, and I have some specific questions about those, but I will let people know that you were running to unseat an incumbent Democrat. And I'll just ask you, where are some of the areas where you feel your opponent is not meeting the needs of the 11th? So, uh, uh, you know, Tabor 100 is like a chamber of commerce for uh, small minority owned uh, uh, businesses. And uh, while on the board of Tabor 100, I was their lead advocate for I-1000 to restore affirmative action to the state of Washington. You know, the uh, 11th district is in South King County. Um, we're a majority minority district. We're a district that has a lower average median income uh, than, uh, than the rest of King County. Did not see my opponent as part of the fight. Did not see him helping to organize the district on that very important issue. Again, served on the board of the Alliance for Gun Responsibility, fighting for I-1639, which was to, to raise the age of, of uh, purchase for handguns and safe storage and other responsible gun laws. Again, did not see my opponent, even though South King County has experienced 77% of all the gun violence in King County. And on that critical issue, could not find my opponent uh, when we needed him, either in the legislature or in, in the community, when we we're trying to organize people uh, on this very important issue. And uh, lastly, um, you know, the, the 11th district is the majority renters district. Yet my opponent was one of four Democrats to vote against protections for renters and a code of conduct uh, for landlords. Turns out my opponent is a landlord and he has been cited uh, uh, approximately five times in the last three years, including for wrongful eviction. I felt that he was out of touch. I felt that the 11th district needed someone to fight on these critical issues and not just in Olympia. These, when you are passionate about these, you will fight with the initiative stage. You will fight uh, to get people registered to vote. You will fight to get them to sign petitions. You will fight to get the job done. You are alluding to this in, in what you've just said about the ways in which your opponent has come up short and also in your personal story. But uh, very prominent uh, on your platform are issues of income inequality and economic opportunity. You see on your website, my life has been shaped by the opportunities that I was offered in dire times. You've alluded to those as representative. I will dedicate myself to ensuring that everyone has access to opportunities that will allow them to thrive. Um, this, of course, is so important. It's also an extraordinarily heavy lift. And this is a big question, but I'll just ask you, in your mind, what are some of the immediate obstacles to access and how do we start to remove them? Again, yeah, it is a, uh, it's a big question. I mean, uh, my, my story is not uncommon. The issues that I deal with are issues that working class people in the 11th district have dealt deal with every day with their lives. Again, lack of access to health care. You know, healthcare is not a good that I think that should be allocated by a market system. It's a right. And we have, to, and I'm, uh, you know, uh, agnostic on the particular uh, vehicle that we use, whether it's a single payer system or an expansion of Medicare or, or some other system like um, um, one of the candidates talked about today, the German system, but we have to do it. This pandemic is, is not coming up with new problems. These are problems that have existed. It's just shining a spotlight on them. Um, again, I lost my best friend to gun violence. Gun violence is a plague that can be addressed um, we, with responsible gun laws. These are things that hold communities of color and low-income communities back. Um, in addition, um, mass incarceration, which I haven't talked about, which I've experienced in both, both my immediate family and my extended family. Um, the the uh, lack of opportunities for people re-entering from the criminal justice system back to the economy. Um, these are issues that, again, hold people back and uh, prevent them from, one, participating in the economy and helping uh, grow our economy. Um, alcohol and substance abuse, lack of treatment, um, which is, you know, not only leads to, you know, employment issues and housing issues and family issues. Again, these are things that um, I experienced in my own family and uh, was able to navigate, but I recognize that so many others uh, have not. And finally, lack of mental health resources. Um, the state of Washington, I think, is woefully behind in how we deal with uh, mental health, particularly for uh, individuals that aren't, are unable to care for themselves. I'm told by many that they have to go out of state to find 
uh, resources to assist them when they're dealing with someone, um, either a, a, a relative or a child uh, that needs uh, custodial care. So these are the kinds of things that my, I saw growing up and I see it in my community. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, I will vote if someone brings that bill to the floor. I think we need people to fight for these critical issues. We need to organize the district to understand how these critical issues impact their lives. And yes, the government is here to help. I know that this is something that is going to be coming up in this next session that is going to, to be a challenge um, in the face of so much of what you've just talked about. And that is uh, the fact that we, even though the EFRC has uh, adjusted our state's budget shortfall upwards, we're now looking at about $4 billion, we're still anticipating that in the next session, the GOP is going to push for austerity measures. These were the sorts of things that were pushed uh, in the 2008 in response to the 2008 recession. What are your thoughts here on, on how to fight back against that? Again, I think you just have to, one, the example of what happened in 2008 recession, those cuts disproportionately impacted low-income pe- people and people of color, and they're still uh, suffering the consequences from them. You know, we are going to have to um, uh, invest in uh, economic stimulus to save small businesses, particularly restaurants and childcare providers who under phase two are required to, have, to only have 50% occupancy and the business model doesn't work. We're losing thousands of those businesses every month and they are not gonna magically, magically resurrect themselves when this pandemic is over. When people say, Dave, how can you afford all these things? So a, a extending unemployment benefits to people, people are not, Uh, not working because the benefits are too much. During this pandemic, jobs have been lost. I mean, you you have to be uh, a a fool not to see that. Um, We have to also include gig workers. You know, we have to include other people to give them protection. The economy, if you understand how the economy works, you understand that these massive cuts are just going to make the economic recession longer and deeper. The economy grows when regular Washingtonians have more earning and spending power. That causes businesses, they buy more goods and services, businesses make more capital expenditures and hire more workers. If we take the demand out of the economy because we have people that can't work, that's gonna cause businesses to shrink. They're gonna have to lay off workers, which means demand will go down again and will go into a spiral. A University of Washington study um, concluded that for every dollar we spend, on extending foster care from 18 to 21, we save $6. We have to make smart investments. It's not whether we can afford to make these investments, we can't afford not to. If we uh, don't act, if we don't use our rainy day fund, if we don't use this as a catalyst to bring the Republicans on board and say, we are going to have to change the way we raise revenue. We're not raising enough to get through this crisis. We're going to have to call on the federal government, you know, through the uh, HEROES Act and others to help us. If we don't act immediately, if we don't act fast, and if we take the easy way out and have an austerity uh, budget, these problems will only get worse. It is evident to me and probably everybody listening and watching here tonight that you are the sort of voice to make that argument in Olympia. Just a couple uh, last questions for you in the time that we have remaining. Uh, You said something on your site that was intriguing to me. You said that the 11th is one of the few areas left in King County with affordable housing, but that the legislature must do more to keep people in their homes and communities. What specifically? So right now during this, so that was actually written before the pandemic, you know, but it, it it becomes even more important now. You know, obviously we have to have, uh, a moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. And the moratorium is not enough. We've got now renters and homeowners that are piling up debt that when this moratorium ends, they'll have no way of paying. So we're also gonna have to think about ways of how to um, uh, retire that debt um, uh, uh, for them. I think we need to have protections for renters um, from uh, you know not just cause evictions. You know, you have uh, women that are victims of domestic violence who are being evicted because they're causing a disturbance of the peace. You know, I do believe in rent control. When you get a 30-year mortgage, what you get is stable pricing for your housing, which allows you to have a stable, you know, stable housing. I think that's definitely something we can do. I think, you know, we have to get off of the drug of increasing property taxes because we don't have the will 
uh, to come up with progressive taxes. In this time of pandemic, we all need PPE, personal protective equipment. I believe we also need PPD, proud progressive Democrats who are gonna stand up and say, we are going to have to address these problems like adults. It's not going to be easy, but if we're gonna solve these problems, we're gonna have to address them head on in a way that makes sense. Things that have been off the table previously are now on the table because of this crisis. We can use this catalyst for good. These are problems that have lasted, you know, have been going on for a while. You know, with respect to, you know, everything from police misconduct, the Seattle police have been under scrutiny from the federal uh, courts for 10 years for the lack of health care. Now, lack of housing during the pandemic. Now we recognize how badly we have uh, managed things. And this is an opportunity to use our um, majorities in the House, majority in the Senate and our Democratic governor to finally do something. We've got to stop playing defense, scared that we're going to lose our majority. The fact that we have a majority means we better use it. If we don't use it now, I can't imagine when. We need PPD. We need proud progressive Democrats. I, I love that. I'm going to put it on a bumper sticker. Um, and when speaking of which, you are not the type of candidate that the Seattle Times usually endorses, uh, a proud progressive Democrat, which I, I think surprised a lot of people. Um, were you surprised? And what do you think this says about your campaign? I was very surprised. I was very surprised. They, it was a rough and tumble endorsement interview. I think what I, I think with people, the message that resonates, I think, is that the 11th district is ready for change. You know, I am not running a negative campaign to say anything negative about my opponent. He has been an, he's an 18 year incumbent. He's been a solid Democratic vote. What he has not been is a leader on critical issues. He has not been someone that has organized the district. He has not been someone that has organized the 11th LD caucus and increased the number of PCOs. There's just an opportunity to bring more people into the community. You know, we lost R88, which would have restored affirmative action uh, to the state of Washington by less than a percent. What if we would have had a leader that would have organized people in the 11th district, which has one of the lowest voting turnouts in the state? What if we have, would have had someone putting pressure on other legislators when we're trying to regulate high capacity magazines? I just think of all the potential that's wasted. This is not a job where you merely, it's nine to five, you check in, you vote with the caucus, and then you put up your hands. We need fighters. These are important issues. These are lives that are at risk in this district uh, because of decisions that have been made by policymakers. You know, I don't ask people to vote for me for the color of my skin. I ask you to vote for me for the strength of my convictions. I'm going to go there and work as hard as I can to make sure that people understand these progressive initiatives. There are, people have called me on the streets when I was, uh, uh, are you a socialist? No, I'm trying to make this economy work. People have accused me, I'm going in against incumbent. You trying to bring down the Democratic Party? No, I'm trying to improve it. I'm trying to make it work for people. That's my goal. Can I be honest with you? I honestly, uh, today I've been kind of dragging and I've been hearing it from a lot of people that were in the final stages of this four year long slog and people are tired and uh, listening to you, I feel buoyed up. I feel really, really buoyed up by your by your words. I, I want to thank you so much for for your time tonight, for joining us, and uh, and really for for everything that that I think you're going to bring to this. Well, thank you. I'm trying to trying to match the energy of joy, right? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think there's going to be a new wave coming in, and I'm really excited about the opportunity. You know, I've got to work hard. I will also I'll make a pitch for myself, please. You know. Um, you know, uh, in the primary, all the major institutions, the Democratic institutions said, you know, hey, Dave, uh, I love what you're doing, but we normally support the incumbent. Uh, I won the primary by 12 points. I got the sole endorsement of the 11th district. I got the sole endorsement of the King County Dems and the King County Young Dems. I went back to those same individuals and they said, you know, Dave, we're focusing on swing districts, not focusing on Dem on Dem races. So uh, fundraising has been a challenge. And uh, it's a challenge that even though you know, I think when I, my message gets out, it resonates. Um, my struggle is making sure I reach enough people with this record turnout so that people understand what I'm about and what I'm doing. And I'll also point out that my opponent has definitely uh, uh, gone negative, um, distorting my record, and uh, with some really ugly attacks, which I, which I was disappointed by. 
Well, I would love for people to go and check out your website because, as I say, uh, it you talk about your your personal story, which is just so compelling. What is your website? It's Hackney H A C K N E Y for the eleventh F O R T H E the number eleventh T H dot com. Again, David Hackney, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was a great forum. I learned so much from my uh, other candidates. I'm, I'm taking notes. Uh, the, the experience they have and the things they're talking about were excellent. Thanks again to Joy Stanford, Angie Hamala, Dave Paul, and David Hackney. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Unjevsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fiseers. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.